Well, hey, friend, welcome to Java with Julie, hosted by me, Julie Slattery. Let me remind you that this is a listener-supported podcast. It's an outreach of a ministry called Authentic Intimacy, and our goal is to help people navigate sexual issues with a gospel focus. Well, while you're on a journey of healing and trying to find freedom from sin, sometimes one of the most challenging aspects can be, how do I find the way forward? I mean, you know roughly where you want to be, but you're not 100% sure of how you're supposed to get there. What does it take to go from hurting to healed? And how do you go from being bound by sin to really feeling free? Well, in today's episode, I'm joined once again by my good friend, Jonathan Darty, the president of Be Broken Ministries. Jonathan has written a new book called Grace-Based Transformation, and it's about changing the way we look at healing and freedom. We tend to think about healing and freedom from a performance mentality, sort of thinking, what am I doing and what can I do to make myself get free? And Jonathan's book really challenges that assumption. While he isn't saying that we don't have a part to play, he's saying that the kind of transformation the Bible speaks to is one that relies heavily on the work of the Holy Spirit and is really the evidence of God's grace in our lives. So let's head to the coffee shop for my conversation with Jonathan Darty. Well, Jonathan, it is a good day when I see your name on my calendar. I always look forward to my conversations with you. So welcome back to Java with Julie. Oh, thanks, Julie. It's always just a joy and an honor to be with you. So thank you for having me back. Yeah, I tell people, and they've heard this on the podcast before, that I really consider you not just a brother, but you are a brother ministry to Authentic Intimacy. And many, many years ago, God had our paths cross, and we just kind of check in with each other every now and then. How's your journey going? And you've just been such an encouragement to me personally and our ministry as well. And every time you are on Job with Julie, you just resonate with people right where they are. So thanks for always being willing to say yes. And today we get to talk about a new book that you just have written and you're pretty excited about called Grace-Based Transformation. So tell us about it. Yeah, so I feel like this has been a book that's kind of 20 years in the making. You know, I've been in, in full-time ministry for twenty over 20 years now, and it's kind of the book that I guess you could say I've always wanted to write. Mm. And it's not that there weren't opportunities beforehand, but I feel like as many things in life, and especially on this faith journey that we're on, God takes us through seasons to get to a certain point to where then what he wants to produce gets produced at that point. That's why I think he uses the fruit metaphor so often, Mm. right? There's a sense in which a seed is planted and then later on you get to see the flower, you get to see the result of that. And so though God planted a seed in my heart for ministry over 20 years ago, I feel like this is a blossoming of something that has taken that much time to be able to say, okay, what is this going to look like? Because this is the fundamental message of what we've been teaching and preaching for 20 years. And that is understanding how grace is both the foundation and the fuel for our transformation journey. What does it look like for us to be transformed over a lifetime? And what are the key stages that a person must travel through in order to mature as a follower of Jesus? Mm. And so it's a little different from some of my previous works that have been maybe very specifically focused around the areas of sexual brokenness and and wholeness and how do we deal with addiction and recovery and those kind of things. So this is in some ways going a little bit more to the 30,000 foot view 
while still being practical in terms of helping people understand these three stages that are outlined in the book. Mm -hmm. Well, Jonathan, one of the things that I really appreciate about Be Broken and about you in this uh, space of helping people navigate issues of addiction and sexual integrity is that you don't stop short of transformation in your work. And what I mean by that is there are a lot of tools and organizations who have the goal of helping people stop looking at pornography, or the goal is to get rid of your addiction. And that's not bad. Those are not bad goals. And uh, some people like that's really what they're looking for and what they need. But ultimately, God wants us to go beyond just stopping sin. He wants us to keep journeying towards maturity. And even your approach in working with men who are struggling with sexual addiction issues is much more integrative of let's look at the whole person. So for me, this doesn't feel like that much of a departure from what you do, even though for those of you who know you for your work at Be Broken, they might be a little surprised. Yeah, well, the message and the tone are probably going to be very familiar if anybody's read any of my other stuff. I think one of the reasons that we want to look at the issue of transformation is because of exactly what you're talking about. I feel like I've seen too many people, they get stopped short of what the ultimate, I guess you could say, goal is of the grace of God. And it's not merely the forgiveness of our sins. Mm -hmm. It's not merely the removal of things that are negative to our lives. It's actually about the abundant life Mm -hmm. that God has actually designed for us to live. We bear his image. We're meant to actually be reflections and, and beacons of little agents of his all throughout the world. And I feel like sometimes in recovery programs or in other things, the interpretation that people have of those tools is that it's just to remove what's negative. Mm-hmm. And like you said, I mean, the tools are great. I, I'm not opposed to tools. We have tools in our ministry for those very things, but they're meant to take us to the ability to then see that this is about a journey over a lifetime that is about increasing joy, increasing peace, increasing love, all that fruit of the spirit that God wants to produce in our lives. And so that's why this book is trying to help people see how do you go from this initial stage of dealing with pain and and what do you need to heal from to eventually sharing your life and the story of the gospel in a way that multiplies all of those good fruits to others. Mm-hmm. Well, Jonathan, as I'm looking at you, our audience can't see you. You've recently grown this this very full beard that is mostly gray, and it, it, it makes you look like this sage. <laughs> and this is a sage kind of book. Uh, and what I mean by that is you've lived some life, and what you've written about is really rooted in your reflections on your own journey, but also as you've walked with literally hundreds of people through the transformation journey. But I would love to go back in a time capsule, maybe 20, 30 years ago. What would it have been like for you as a young man who was struggling to hear what you just said? Like just, hey, the life that you're living is about the abundant life and being joy-filled. It's not just about getting rid of sin. Yeah, you know, I, I actually, if I if I go back to, let's say, my mid early mid-20s, you know, and I think about that, I would have probably resonated with that in my mind. Mm-hmm. See, I grew up in the church, 
So there would have been a part of me that says, oh, I totally agree with that. Even though everything in my heart would have said, good grief, I'm so far from that. I don't have a clue what that looks like. I don't know where to start. I don't, I don't know how to connect to that in like a visceral way. Mm-hmm. You know, so in some ways there would have been a disconnect in the sense of like, okay, I can get that in an, in, on an intellectual level, even on maybe a theological doctrinal level. But I don't know if at that point in my life, I would have been able to connect with that at a heart level. And yet, I know this of myself. I certainly would have wanted to. Mm -hmm. I certainly would have wanted to know, okay, how can I do that? And that's why I think we need the gray bearded people that have lived a little while and, you know, gotten some scars to be able to say, I can help you to understand this. It's not a formula. Again, it's a journey. That's what the whole book is about. It's a transformation journey. But yet, I think sometimes we're missing people that have walked long enough on that journey who are then willing to share those experiences and share that, that wisdom with other people. That's another part of what I hope comes out of the book, especially on the last piece about sharing is we need more people. We need more voices. We need more wisdom in this space. And that's, again, why I think some people stop short on the journey. They're just looking in a self centered kind of way, how can I just feel good? Or how can I just get away from these negative, Mm -hmm. you know, things that are going on in my life, whether it be pornography or any other kind of brokenness. Mm -hmm. And I want to push them a little farther and say, how do you get to a place where you're, you have a full life that then has benefit to others? So my younger self would have connected on one level, but would have only had kind of a distant hope for what that might look like to really live that full life. Yeah. So your younger self is listening to this and they're just about ready to press stop because they're Could like, be, yeah. <laughs> Hey, no, I just need the tools. Like that. Maybe when I'm old and gray, I'll be ready for that mature life in Christ, but I just am not there yet. What would you say to, to keep him or her right here in terms of, no, this is not for when you're in your fifties and sixties. Well, this might be counterintuitive, but what I would say to my younger self, and I don't know this, if this would connect with everybody else's younger self, is I would say, hey, get used to pain for the rest of your life. Mm. And I think my younger self would have just stopped in his tracks and say, what? Wait a second. That's not what I want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, but you're, you're telling, you know, older Jonathan would be saying, hey, we can talk about healing and we're going to talk about growth and we're going to talk about how to share this. And my younger self would have said, wait a second. How do you juxtapose healing with you're going to have pain the rest of your life? And I think that would cause my younger self to stop enough to say, I don't get that. That's a paradox. Yeah. I can't understand that. And so I think for me, I, I want to sort of shock my younger self into reality mm-hmm. because I think my younger self would have been like most younger selves, which is saying, you know, anything that's uncomfortable or that doesn't come easy or that is painful, I really want to avoid. I want to medicate. I want to ignore. And I want my younger self to know, no, really, you're going to have to learn how to navigate all the various kinds of pain that are going to be in your life, whether you want them to be or not. Mm-hmm. And so what does that look like? And so for me, I think that would have caused me to lean in a little bit and say, I want to know more about what you're talking about there because my whole existence, in fact, at that point, my whole addiction was about how do I run from pain? How do I escape it? How do I medicate it and numb out? And of course, that wasn't working. So if somebody like older self me comes in and says, hey, you're going to have pain the rest of your life. 
I probably would have been, wait a second, but you're telling me somehow there's joy on your face. Somehow there's like hope in your voice. How on earth can that be possible that you're saying that even in your life now as a, as a gray bearded man, <laughs> you have current pain in your life and yet you're not drowning in it. You're not running to an addiction because of it. How is that possible? So I think it was, that's why the book starts there sure. in terms of talking no, about No, I mean, I think you said a few things there that are really key. First of all, making the link between addiction of any kind, but even sexual acting out and uh, many of the things that we do sexually are an attempt to numb pain, to avoid pain, uh, to get an escape from it. And so there is a link between this idea of embracing pain <laughs> and uh, and addressing sexual brokenness. So this is not, a, again, a complete departure of the work that you've been doing. Every person that you work with that has some sort of unwanted sexual behavior in their life, there's, there's a pain element underneath that that needs to be addressed. So that's the first thing I think we need to realize. The second thing is, even as you're describing that, Jonathan, I don't know if you remember a book that was pretty popular when we were in our young adult years, The Road Less Travel by Scott Peck. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. And that was, that was like the premise of his book was life is painful. And once you accept that reality, it becomes increasingly less painful. Because mm-hmm. his whole premise was that we spend a lot of energy in our life trying to avoid pain. But once you just stare it in the face and you accept it as a reality of life, life becomes a lot more manageable and in a weird way, pleasurable, because we're not trying to just look for the, the next way that we're avoiding pain. So, uh, so you're, you're repeating some of that wisdom, like for this generation. And of course, he wasn't, from my understanding, coming from a Christian perspective so much, but just mm-hmm. speaking the realities and the truth of life. And one thing I want to be clear about is I'm not making any kind of declaration that pain is pleasant or that pain is even good in the sense that like it was part of God's design. You know, no, pain is is a negative in one sense in the fact that it actually is painful. That's why we call it pain, whether it's physical pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain, relational pain, I mean, fill in the blank with whatever kind of pain you can experience. What I want people to see, though, in terms of connecting it to this understanding of healing is that we're trying to look at pain through a different lens. That's the key is like the way I I put it in the book is can pain actually be an ally Mm. in your transformation journey? And I think it can if we can look at it in a new way and from a different foundation. Because, see, I think pain can actually, I mean, it does warn us, warn us of danger, right? I mean, if you put your hand over a fire, it's like pain's going to tell you, oh, make a correction. Yeah. I think also pain can remind us of maybe some wounds or decisions that were made in the past or things that happened to us. And then we can remember, like I share in the book, a story of where I had a, 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 a rope swing accident that left a permanent scar on my leg that I have to this day. And even now... I could hit my leg and it hurts. And it reminds me of, okay, the way I got that scar was through a very foolish teenage act. Mm. (laughs) I was really being foolish. And so even having that scar, there's nothing wrong with having that scar. And in fact, when I feel that pain, it's like, oh, it reminds me of 
the foolishness that I had and maybe some things that I learned from that. Mm -hmm. So that's all I'm saying is I think we need to get a different framework for understanding how can we actually engage pain in our lives and learn from it. And then also one of the things that I try to point to about pain that's a little bit of a paradox is how pain can even point us to heaven. Because pain is a reminder that when we think of the promises of God, the promise that he has is that pain is not eternal. Hmm. Pain will not last forever. So even if I experience pain now, deep brokenness and deep pain in my life of any kind, whether it's something that came out of my own sin or because of somebody else's sin getting dumped in my life or some circumstance, in that pain, I can still look to the promises of God and say, this won't last forever. So even in pain, I can have hope because of the promises of God. Right. And so I just wanted to give a different framework for how we think of the whole issue of pain. Mm -hmm. And this discussion of pain fits in sort of that first stage of transformation. You have three stages where you talk about heal, grow, and share. And for most people, when they think of that word heal, they think healing is to get rid of my pain. But you're right. saying not necessarily. That might be part of healing, but... But it yeah. actually might be the pain that shepherds you through that journey of healing. And there's a reason that I actually wanted to start the book with the issue of heal, healing and even dealing with pain is because, you know, in a lot of ways, this is a discipleship resource. Mm -hmm. It really is trying to help people understand how they walk with God. And there's a lot of discipleship books out there and resources like that, that I think go immediately to a lot of the, the disciplines of a disciple, like, hey, you need to get in the word, you need to pray, you need to be in fellowship with other believers and worship. All those things are good. But a lot of times we're jumping past this issue of how do you deal with the pain? Mm -hmm. How do you how do you understand healing from a gospel context? Yeah. And what I'm trying to say is, like I said, I would say to younger me, you're going to live with pain the rest of your life in some form or fashion. And you don't have to live a hopeless, joyless existence because of that. But you've got to reframe it. And that's why the healing from pain doesn't come through the elimination of pain, but by us having a deep abiding understanding of our identity as one who bears God's image. We are made in God's image. And then through the beauty of the gospel, we are given an identity that is formed in Christ. And so the healing is not something that says, I need to go through all of these rituals. I need to you know, make sure I read my Bible 10 minutes every day and I need to make sure that I pray and I need to make sure checking all these boxes as if I'm going through a formula to get to a point where I don't have any more pain. Instead, I need to go on a journey that takes a long time of being able to understand who am I? Like, what, what worth does God declare over my life? And when I look to the cross, I see that's how much I'm worth to God. And when I gain that identity that's been given to me as a gift, that starts to produce in me an understanding of how I can bear up under that pain, how I can actually look at pain as an ally, how I can learn from pain rather than feeling like it's going to crush mm -hmm. me. It does. does. Yeah. Let me ask you to make this practical. So you at Be Broken minister to uh, men and women and, and families kind of the classic person that would come to be broken would be a, a man who's struggling with some sort of sexual integrity issue. And this is your own story, Jonathan. And then a woman who is impacted by her husband's pornography use or sexual addiction. So can you practically apply how you might walk 
an individual or couple through how this helps them in that pain of dealing with the sexual addiction, the fallout of sinful and foolish choices, or maybe even the pain that led them Mm -hmm. to that place. Yeah. Going to be really hard to do that in a podcast because what you just asked usually takes months Uh and sometimes even years to really unpack in in a, in a significant transformational way. But the thumbnail sketch of that is, we're going to have to talk about where shame lies are rooted in your life. And because identity is really where the healing is going to come from, we all got a skewed false identity somewhere in our past, meaning somewhere in our childhood, things were spoken into our lives, lies were put into our mind about our worth and our value as a person. We call these shame lies in our, in our ministry. And so we're going to have to deal with that. So we've got to go back into a person's past and we've got to say, let's talk about some family of origin issues. Mm. Let's talk about what dad was like. Let's talk about what mom was like. What were those relationships like? What was happening in those where, you know, you're, you're longing for a connection with your father and he says, I don't want to have anything to do mm-hmm. with you. Well, guess what? That's a wound. That's a pain in your life. And if, if healing comes by understanding your identity, we're going to have to deal with that shame lie that says you're not worth being connected to. You're not worth having a relationship with. And so in a practical way, there's some counseling elements that are certainly part of this. Yeah. I think it also is vital that we get into some group settings and into some community where we can unpack our story, where we can get some support, where some other wiser mentors can come around and say, hey, you know what? Maybe, you know, I know you didn't have a dad that spoke truth over you, but I want you to know that as your friend, and as somebody that's older than you, I want to tell you, I'm so proud of you. Mm-hmm. I'm just so proud of you for being in this group. And just speaking truth over that person about their identity is some of the practical ways that we start to dig in and start to realize, hey, those things that were spoken over you, those things that were done to you, that is not true about who you are. And so then we've got to go through the practical tools like counseling and group and some of that kind of stuff to be able to then... Mm-hmm start to realize, okay, maybe I actually am a beloved child of God. Maybe I actually do have this identity that was given to me that I didn't have to earn, that it was by God's grace. I didn't have to perform for it. And so I think counseling and groups are a huge way to practically deal with some of those shame lies. Do you ever have people that might push back and say, Jonathan, it's not my family of origin issue. Like, I don't need to go back there. My problem is I can't stop looking at pornography. I've seen the documentaries. I know like the pleasure centers in my brain are being overloaded with dopamine. Like, can't we just focus on that? Like, why do we need to go to wounds and these identity pieces? Well, because we are not, we're not machines. So the reality is, is because we are made in God's image, we are fundamentally relational beings. And every single one of us, I don't care who you are, 100% of us have had relational wounds Mm -hmm. of some kind. Okay, so let's say it's not your family of origin. Do you think your relationship with the culture has been really speaking truth about your identity to you? Uh Oh, not for, I mean, we have a biblical worldview. We have a Christian worldview. We understand that we are made in God's image. If you go to the culture, everything about the culture is going to tell you, you know what, you're just, you know, you're just a random collocation of atoms. Mm -hmm. 
you know, you don't have any real value because you're just, you know, a piece of meat. And so all of us are going to have to deal at some point with these wounds. I get it. Some people didn't have the same degree of family of origin wounds, but no family is perfect. So every, every person in their development has had some kind of relational wound. Let's even say if somebody, let's say a person that is looking at pornography, we know that there's even a, a disorder now called uh, uh, PIED, porn-induced erectile dysfunction in young men under the age of 30. So they have so connected to pornography, which is speaking something to them about their identity, that for them to even try to be in an intimate relationship with a female is impossible. Well, okay, let's talk about that. I mean, if we want to go there, it's like, what has that done to your sense of being made in God's image male? Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can't even respond in the uh, natural way to a female because you've been conditioned by screens. And so there's a lot of different ways that we can attack this, but I still think it does come down to the sense that we've been lied to and we've received those lies about who we actually are as a person made in God's Mm -hmm. image. And we've got to deal with that if we're going to be healed. And you're you're a good example of that. You grew up in in a very strong Christian family, loving parents, but you have shared openly about how your own sexual addiction came out of some of um, your wounds, but also the lies you believed. So I don't know if you would be willing to share just a little bit about how that has played out in your journey. Yeah. So I think, you know, uh, I love, I love the old, um, saying that children are great observers, but terrible interpreters. Mm. And so I think for me growing up in a Christian home where I did have parents that loved the Lord and loved me, but you know, every family is broken in some way. I could observe that. But the way I interpreted that as a child is you've got to perform perfectly. And it wasn't that my parents were pressuring me in a lot of these areas, but I just had this sense of there was a high degree of, of a sense for, of excellence and you want to do the best in our home. And, and you know what? Those are good things to do. But again, the way I was interpreting that is it's about performance. Your worth is on this you know, mm-hmm. fluctuation of how you perform. Well, that's actually a lie. That's an identity lie because God actually declared through Jesus that you can't perform in a way that is going to meet the standard. And so your identity has to transcend anything that's ever been done to you or anything that you've ever done. And so for me, I had to go through a long journey. And that's why when I started getting into my addiction and everything, that became very, that became very private. I was hiding it because guess what? That wouldn't look good on my performance record. Yeah. Yeah. My recovery journey had to deal so much with that performance shame line mm-hmm. that you don't you you don't have any real value or worth in who you are unless you perform and unless you meet the standards. And so that's part of my own healing journey yeah. is coming to this place of understanding. No, my identity was given to me as a gift by God mm-hmm. and my identity in Christ is a gift that was given to me by him through the gospel. Mm-hmm. Couldn't earn it. Absolutely no performance that I could do that could earn that. And the more that I actually rest in that, the more that I can actually navigate the pains in my life, the more that I can actually enjoy peace and joy because I'm not having to earn the gift that I've been given as a beloved child of God. And that takes a long time to, you can hear it, you can nod your head. It takes years um, to rewrite the things that we believe about ourselves. Uh, And 
And I would say that I can only imagine uh, 20 years from now how I will even look back on myself now and realize how ignorant I was to so much of the journey. And that's why I wanted to write in this book the idea that we're on a transformation pathway. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's ongoing over a lifetime. It's not something that you can just say, hey, you know what, in the next six months, I'm going to have this thing wrapped up and I'll be... Yeah, and that's bad news for a lot of people right now. They're like, really? I just want the program that's going to fix me. And your second step is grow. So you've got heal, grow. And I'm guessing that those are not like mutually exclusive steps. Like most of us are, we're in overlapping these. And so they built. I would say these are all kind of overlap. There's intertwined. There's going to be seasons in your life where guess what? A new pain occurs Mm -hmm. and there's got to be deeper healing that goes in there. So I I don't want them to think of it as linear. Mm -hmm. I think it's more kind of uh, more like in a, in a circle and kind of overlapped in layers. So they're interconnected. Yeah, for sure. I I don't know why, but when I, when I read this section on growing, growing in maturity, growing in your faith in God is such a like steady theme throughout the scripture, but it just seems like we don't, prioritize it. Like it seems like in the American culture, there's no conversation about how are you growing and how are you different now than you were 10 years ago? And Mm -hmm. what is God doing in your life? And what is he teaching you? I don't know why that is. It just, it seems like churches for a lot of people, superficial, it's checking a box. It's as long as I'm not hourly sinning, like God and I are good. There's not an emphasis on the fact that we all should be kind of in that crucible of, of growing and being tested. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that I think we still have much more than we want to admit a performance-based orientation towards our faith mm-hmm. rather than a grace-based orientation. I think we would understand maybe this concept of growth if we actually did understand grace. I don't see that Um, connection. Like how does not understanding grace keep us from having kind of a a goal of maturation? I think because we want to look at outcomes through the lens of, well, how am I doing? Mm -hmm. Instead of looking at outcomes as God has made promises. In other words, I look at it as like, okay, the growth that is going to happen in me is not something that I can like will to happen. It is a seed that has been planted in me that is to bear fruit, not my fruit, the fruit of the spirit of God. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a cooperation between me and the spirit of God, but if I ever think that somehow I am performing in such a way as to produce the fruit that God actually wants to produce in my life, I have gotten way out of whack with the gospel. I've gotten way out of whack with how God has actually designed this. And some of it too, Julie, is I think we live in a culture, especially here in the West in the United States, that just does not understand growth pace from a Christian biblical understanding. We are so fast paced. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's a reason, again, why Jesus used all these agricultural examples. And I understand the time he was living in. That's really what the common example was going to be. But I don't think that should be missed on our, our time even today. Is like fruit is never instant. Yeah. There has to be a sense in which there's a maturing that happens. You could even make the argument that 
a good portion of the growth time is totally unseen. Yeah. It's still in the soil. And we don't like that. We want to be seen. We want to, we want people to see like, how's your ministry doing? How are you doing? Like, what are you producing instead of what if I'm in a five-year season of being under the dirt? Mm-hmm. Like, and nothing is being seen by anybody else or maybe even me, <laughs> but God has got me on this maturing process. And again, that's where I think God and his sovereignty can use painful circumstances to be, be do, doing that maturing work kind of in the dark where nobody sees. And then later you might be able to see the fruit. Uh, I think that's so true. I love the way you describe that. It makes me think when I'm performance-based, I won't stay in the dirt when God wants me there. So I'm not willing to step back. I'm not willing to retreat. I'm not willing to be quiet and be still and invest in the things that don't look impressive to people. It's like, I got to be doing, I got to be producing. And that the maturation never happens when we're just busy going from one thing to the next. And Julie, I would say, I think there's even an increased pressure for someone like you or me, who is, hey, heading up a ministry. And there's all these expectations that other people will have on, on what growth should look like, even in that work and in that ministry. And you can start to feel that pressure of, well, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? I got to do the next thing. And without even realizing it, there's a, there's a speed pressure Mm -hmm. that I think starts to happen in our faith. This can also happen to any Christian Mm -hmm. because of other family members, or maybe they get start getting involved in their church and God is doing a really amazing transformative work in their lives. And then the next thing you know, everybody's grabbing onto them saying, Hey, you want to do this? You want to do this? You're you're perfect for this. You should, you should do that. You should lead that ministry. You should start that group. And next thing you know, the very things that got them to a place where maturity was beginning to happen starts to get squelched because now they get busy with the sort of superficial elements of work, quote unquote, work of ministry mm-hmm. rather than the heart of ministry. Well, and, it's, and that's why I think yeah, growth has to stay focused in that area of the heart. And it also kind of comes from our misunderstanding of what it is to live the Christian life, you know, like... Our understanding of the Christian life, as you're saying, is so results-oriented and fruit-oriented that even if no one else is putting that pressure on you, you may have a tendency even in your time with the Lord to put that pressure on yourself. Like, what am I doing for God? What am I doing to please Him? What am I doing to make Him happy? And so I, I see that transformation that needs to happen. Let me ask for the person who's listening and says, well, yeah, you just describe me, <laughs> you know, like I'm about the sin management. I'm about, you know, staying busy for God. And I really don't focus on maturity and growth. What would be a good step? Like, what do we need to change in order to really invest in that growth? One thing I would say is to that person is what does truly authentic community look like for you? Because I think sometimes when we get that performance mindset, there are parts of our own soul and our own heart that we are less willing to share with other people because we're thinking, but wait a second, they've seen me in this role and they've seen what I've produced there. And oh my goodness, if, if they knew some things that are in my heart or if they, they knew some things that I'm struggling with, I don't think they would have the same perception of me. Mm-hmm. And yet I think, you know, going back to healing again and identity and we need community. 
We need some small groups. We need some friends. We need some brothers and sisters in Christ that we can bear our soul to so that growth can actually happen. Because the other thing that, you know, when, when you use a fruit example, one of the key elements for growth to happen is light. Light is necessary for fruit to grow. And so there is a sense in which we've got to bring our souls into the light. And we sometimes we think we're doing that when we're alone in our closet with God, but God doesn't see it that way. No, to bring yourself into the light, it, you know, First John 1 tells us that if we walk in the light, as Christ, Jesus in the light, we have fellowship with one another. There's a sense in which walking in the light brings us into community with others so that we can really be known and so that we can be sharpened and that we can encourage and do all the one anothering that the New Testament calls us to. Mm-hmm. So I think community, having a good, strong, it doesn't have to be a ton of people, maybe three or four people that really know you and can really sharpen you and that you can walk with are huge for for growing. Yeah. Uh, and that takes investment. Again, it may take away your productivity to say, I want to invest in a community. I want to be known. Um, but that's what ultimately produces that true fruit. So that's a great word. All right. We, we'll spend a few minutes on the last step of transformation, which is share. And I think sometimes we want to get share ahead of everything else. It's like, all right, to please God and to serve God, I just need to go out and share why is it ordered last? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's not because it, it's not ordered last because there's nothing that you would have to share like day one of your faith. But it's last because if we look at this as a, a maturing journey, right? There's a maturing that's supposed to be happening on this journey. I think some of the things that are part of the share element you don't really understand fully until you've had some work on healing and growth. Because one of the things that's in the, in the share element is just starting to understand a kingdom perspective. Mm-hmm. I don't think day one for any believer, you have a kingdom perspective. I mean, that takes a while to understand because the kingdom is an upside. God's kingdom is totally upside down and inside out from the world's system. So as you are growing, as you're healing, you're starting to realize, I'm learning to live in a whole new way with a whole different set of priorities. The kingdom of God is what I am focused on. And so therefore, what is the kingdom of God? It's full of citizens who are all about love. And, you know, it's it's in the great commandment, love God and love your neighbor, right? That's starting to learn how to be selfless. But another piece that I think takes a while to learn is that, in order to experience a whole different kind of fullness of joy, I really believe the outcome of the Christian life is joy. And we talk about love all the time. I think that's what it produces from us. But I think what it produces in us and for us is joy. I think that's, I mean, when you think about heaven, that's the culmination of joy. And so I think it takes a while for you to understand that the bigness of the kind of joy that God wants to give to us is a joy that can't come from trying to hoard grace or trying to hold on to blessings. I think it's, I use the image of a conduit. We're never meant to be a reservoir. We're never meant to just permanently hold all of the good things that God gives to us. It's meant to be a life that all of that flows through us. And I think for those of us that have been on the journey a while, as we do that, we realize, my goodness, Jesus was totally right when he said it's better to give than to receive. Yeah. It's like there's a different kind of joy. And then ultimately, I think sharing is about keeping our eye on what the focus actually is as a follower of Jesus, and that is making disciples. Mm -hmm. Like there's a sense in which you don't have the same kind of uh, ability or knowledge 
on day one of your faith to be able to be a disciple maker until you've experienced some time in that journey of your own healing and growth to then be able to know, oh, now I know what a disciple is because I'm living it. And now I also then know how to then make a disciple. Yeah. Yeah. But on the other hand, um, you know, I would say you don't have to wait too long and you shouldn't wait too long to get involved in sharing the good news of Jesus. And, oh, absolutely. and Jonathan, your own story, very shortly after God took you through kind of a freedom process and really brought reconciliation to your marriage and set you free from a sexual addiction, the next thing he told you was tell your story. And if you were to go back to how long ago is that? Like 15 years ago, 20 years ago? No, it was 25, 24 years ago. Okay. So if we went back 24 years when he first said, tell your story, you told the same story you're telling today, but you told it differently with less perspective and less maturity. But I know it was still effective. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that, you know, that younger person who's telling, their fresh love of Jesus and how he saved them has a a, a unique influence that's different from somebody who's walked with the Lord many years. So not to discourage people, like you have to wait. Oh yeah. You know, you have to wait to jump in. That's the point of it. Yeah. That's the point of it is that when we talk about sharing, what it ultimately is, is you're sharing God's story. You know, and you know what, you can share that at any point along the journey, because I mean, think about the woman at the well, Mm -hmm. literally within minutes She's going and saying, let me tell you about the guy who told me everything I've ever done. Yep. So let's just say she hadn't, she'd walked, you know, one step on the transformation pathway. And yet she was still saying, hey, it's not about me. Let me tell you about this guy. Yeah. And that's really what this is all about. No matter where you are on the transformation pathway, hopefully what we're learning to do is say, let me show you him. Let me show you Jesus. Because he's the only one that actually has the power to truly transform our lives. Mm-hmm. So people are going to say, you know, in our Western mindset, okay, how long does all this take? Like I read the book, you know, like, am I like, when am I going to start to see change? Yeah. So that's always a hard question to answer because, you know, everybody responds to these truths in different ways and at different, you know, on a different time scale. Mm -hmm. On the one hand, the, the overarching answer is, you know, this is going to be walked out over a lifetime. And I really, in in many ways, I'd love people to come away from the book and say, you know what? I want to build that kind of faithful heart. I want to be faithful on this journey. I I want them to come away with a sense of like, listen, I don't know how many more days I have to live, but I want to make each one matter because I'm living in this way. Now, in more of the short term, I think, I think for a lot of people, especially when they look at that kind of the heal and grow aspect of the book, maybe even the heal more, there are some things that I think they can jump into right away and start to see some real change taking place. Like when I mentioned getting into counseling and really dealing with some of those identity shame lies, mm-hmm. I, think you could, I think you can see some growth happen pretty quickly in that because I know for me, when I first started my recovery, I mean, it felt like every day light bulbs were going off. Like, oh my goodness, I've never seen it from that perspective. And there's a there's kind of a freshness to feeling like there's hope. I don't have to live this way my whole life. I can be free. And so I think in that way, certain aspects of change can happen relatively quickly, at least in terms of the insight. In terms of all of these principles, then going deep into your soul and being worked out as fruit, just get on a journey of being faithful. It's going to be a lifelong journey. And I do want to say this as a hopeful comment. 
people think about a journey only in terms, often only in terms of what's the destination. I think the Christian life, again, how the kingdom of God is upside down and inside out, the kingdom of God, the journey is the destination. Did you know I believe for all of eternity, even after we are in our glorified bodies in heaven, we are going to be on a journey with God. He is eternal. He's transcendent. He is infinitely creative. Do you really think the journey will stop because we're in heaven? So I think we've got to learn now, how do I learn to make the focus the journey rather than always trying to get to a particular point? And so that's what I hope people can come away with is I'm going on this journey with Jesus and the journey is the destination. And can I just be faithful in taking the next step? I hope this episode made you think about the lifelong journey that you are on towards healing. Jonathan is right in saying that Jesus is really the only one who can bring about lasting and real transformation in our lives. He's the one that brings us into living a whole healed life. God uses our pain sometimes in surprising ways, and he always draws us back to who we are in him when we seek him. Now, because this is a lifelong journey, I know it can be frustrating, but I pray that this helps you to understand that God is working in you, even if you can't see it right now, and he can work in you. And even in those quiet periods of the journey, he's producing his fruit in your life. If you want to get a copy of Jonathan's new book, we've linked to it in our show notes. I also want to let you know that Jonathan is going to be leading one of our online coaching intensives coming in April of 2024. And if you'd like to find out more about it, you can find the link for that in our show notes as well. And one more thing before you go, I just want to remind you about our Authentic Intimacy Open House that will be coming up tomorrow, November 7th at 1230 Eastern. Now, this is a live event on Zoom where you get to learn more about our ministry and about our membership. And you're able to meet our Authentic Intimacy Program Manager, Joyce Garka, who will be ready to answer any questions that you might have. Now, all those who attend will also get a chance to join me on our monthly member deep dive into Java with Julie episodes. We call that Second Cup. Second Cup is a great way to get answers to some of the questions that you have about recent Java with Julie episodes and a fun week just to go deeper together on a topic. You can sign up for our open house in Second Cup at the link in our show notes. Well, friend, that's it for now. Thanks so much for joining me. And I look forward to having coffee with you next time on Java with Julie.